Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 517th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me over at uh, jerseysportingnews.com, covering the New York Red Bulls. The chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. You have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to my best abilities. Congratulations to the Denton Diablos. They are the national champions of the National Premier Soccer League with a 5-2 victory over Tulsa Athletic. Congratulations to Damon Gochner's um, side that played very well. And you know what? A great job uh, by Sonny D'Alessandro's uh, side coming from Tulsa, Oklahoma, just unfortunately got edged at the uh, just about five minutes before halftime, and they just couldn't find that uh, second equalizer to force a 3-3 scoreline. But still, though, fabulous final. 2,400 people at Denton High School in Denton, Texas, and it's just been a fantastic final uh, to go forward with. We do, of course, obviously... U.S. Open Cup getting ready for 2022. We already have some clubs that are already uh, qualified for the tournament. Still more spots to be determined. But for now, for now, these are some of the teams that are going to be in there. And um, here they are from USL League 2. We have Kalamazoo FC, the Des Moines Menace, Mississippi Brilla FC, Western Mass Pioneers, West Chester United. Long Island Rough Riders, SC United Bantams, The Villages FC, North Carolina Fusion under 23s, Park City Red Wolves, and the Portland Timbers under 23s. That's in USL League 2. In uh, NPSL, Cleveland SC, as once again, Denton Diablos, FC Baltimore Christos, Tulsa Athletic, once again, FC Motown, Southern States SC, Minneapolis City SC, and FC Golden State. Still some Spaces remaining, some spots remaining. So we're going to see what's going to happen with the rest of the NPSL. Uh, there also may be a spot or two from USL League 2. And, of course, the Open Cup qualifiers for the semi-professional amateur uh, level clubs, U.S. Club Soccer, USSSA, and, of course, U.S. Adult Soccer Association. Then we start that qualifying uh, this coming September. In August, we're going to be – this month, I should say, we'll announce – or it will be announced, those clubs that will be inside U.S. Open Cup qualifying. This man is the face of modern football of today. From Argentina, but played in Spain, in the Catalan area of the country, no more. Lionel Messi, no more able to don the Blaugrana. 
you know, when you talk about a player like Lionel Messi, and you're wondering about this whole situation where will he stay, will he go, there's no way he's ever going to leave Barcelona. Oh, the dreams we can all have if he ever came to Major League Soccer, which I knew it wasn't going to happen right off the bat. He, for him to come to MLS, I think he would have had to retire from international football competition, just like what Thierry Henry did when he left Europe to come and play for the New York Red Bulls. The same thing with David Beckham leaving the English national team to come to MLS to go and play for the Los Angeles Galaxy. For him, it is a bittersweet moment to see this wonderful footballer go out and the weird circumstances that caused him to basically be forced out, not by the club, but by the financial rules of La Liga. I guess the, the hard salary cap or the, the, the salary situation from Barcelona says to me that the owners or the board members of this club, with all of their spending with their restrictions now being thrown at them, they lose one of the best players in all of world football. And for some of you that's thinking, well, this is a joke. This is a, this is a poor prank. There's no way this would ever happen. There's no way Lionel Messi would ever, ever leave Barcelona. But it's not of his doing. It is the doing of the board that runs the club in the biggest city in Catalan, in the country of Spain. You know, I finally had a a chance to watch him in person when I was at MetLife Stadium many, many years ago in one of the friendlies between Argentina and the United States. And I marveled at how he can control the ball, dribble the ball, challenging our young players at the time, some veterans. He eventually set up a goal before halftime and led the United States 1-0. Even though Juan Agudelo found a way to get an equalizer, and the match ended at 1-1. Just watching him perform was unbelievable. Back in 2010, and watching videos from the New York Red Bulls as the Argentinian Football Federation invited the Red Bulls under 19 team invited them to come to training at the Timex training facility in the Meadowlands just 
on the outs, just outside of MetLife Stadium where those New York football giants of the National Football League train indoors. The captain of the New York Rebels now was a part of that under-19 team in Sean Davis, and he had the opportunity of a lifetime to face Lionel Messi. You know, every time I would talk to a former colleague of mine, Dave Martinez, and for those of you from the New York City area, he's the one that started the Empire of Soccer website. Dave Martinez, Argentinian himself, I went up to him and I asked him, is it true that Lionel Messi and attacking, playing Argentines, are they double-jointed at the ankles? And he told me, and he la- I didn't tell me anything. I mean, he laughed, basically. Because the way that Lionel Messi controls the ball and dribbles the ball and everything involved with that it was amazing to watch the pace that he runs with the ball the jersey he wore every time Barcelona was at the Camp Nou was unreal and unbelievable and you pray to God you would see a talented player like that get an opportunity to come to Major League Soccer or to develop inside Major League Soccer to be a part of a club side here and to dominate not just not just inside Major League Soccer but to dominate within CONCACAF and for the U.S. men's national team. I don't know if we'll ever get a player like that here in MLS But one thing is for sure. We all know and we've heard the rumors and there's a possibility and everything else that Lionel Messi will now be moving his talents to Ligue 1, possibly with Paris Saint-Germain, PSG. He'll be rejoining Neymar. He'll be joining his Argentinian national team teammate, Angel Di Maria. And you wonder, even though it's European, can anyone play with Messi at the level and the pace he provides? Since the age of 13 years old, Lionel Messi has done the impossible for Barcelona, winning how many La Liga championships, Copa del Reyes, Spanish Cups, Spanish League Cups, And, of course, Champions League titles. Defeating Arsenal, defeating Manchester United. What he does is unbelievable. And how many supporters he has created for Barcelona, all because of his own play. Going from the Blaugrana to the dark blue with the red stripe and the white trim will not feel normal to see him changing colors 
will probably be the strangest thing you'll ever see. There's a lot to process here. And of course, with him crying at his final press conference at Barcelona, it's just... It's just an outright shame that this man is not going to retire wearing one shirt. No one ever thought, no one ever thought Thierry Henry would ever play for another club outside of Arsenal. Not many thought that David Beckham would play for any other club outside of Manchester United. Ronaldo, even though starting in the uh, the Sporting Lisbon in Portugal, then going to Manchester United, and many felt that probably he would never ever take off the Real Madrid jersey until he went to Juventus in Italy. These are the mysteries of the game in our in our world of our planet. These are the mysteries of what football does to people. It can be the most beautiful thing ever. It could be the most farcical thing ever. The strangest thing. The most beautiful thing. And the most sad thing to ever see happen. And when you talk about a player like that, who do you equal or get close to equaling that level. To be honest, nobody. You cannot compare anyone in MLS now or in the past what was going to happen. But you can definitely say, but not at the same level as as Messi, I'll be honest. There's no one right now at the same level as Messi that's playing professional or did play professional football in the United States. But if you want to say, you want to say, you know, who gets, you know, maybe a mention, Landon Donovan, without a doubt, Landon Donovan is, I'm not saying he's close, but I'm saying if you want to rank it, rate it, you can definitely say Landon Donovan would be the one. But I digress. So, that's how I feel about it. It's going to be weird seeing Messi in a PSG shirt and not in a Barcelona jersey anymore. My guest tonight is a gentleman that has written many, many articles about the U.S. men's national team, the women's national team, of course, locally with on New York City FC and the New York Red Bulls, Metro Stars, anything, everything, Rochester, New York State. Mr. Michael Lewis joins me from Front Row Soccer. Michael, welcome back, and how are you, sir? Uh, thank you for having me on, and I am uh, doing okay. I hope you are as well, too. Thank you. I am. I am, very much so. Um before we get to the main topic, it's going to be the most weirdest thing to see Lionel Messi not in a Barcelona jersey anymore. I mean, can you can can you describe what it means to see like, you know, one of the best players in the world? And who would you compare that to 
not seeing him playing for a club side that you never thought he would ever leave or maybe was forced out to leave due to certain circumstances? I'll, I'll go to um, maybe another sport. Um, maybe Daryl Jeter not playing for the Yankees or Carl Yastrzemski. Now I'm dating myself there, but Carl Yastrzemski not playing for the Red Sox. He just thinks that they were going to be playing with their team for their entire career, which they did. Um, there are so many others. Uh, I think maybe let's say Pete Rose with the Cincinnati Reds, and he wound up playing with uh, the Philadelphia Phillies and helping them to a World Series title. Um, you just get used to seeing someone in that uniform. There, you know, I've posted pictures on my website over the years of, of Lionel Messi in two uniforms: one Barcelona and the other Argentina. Anything else? It look like it's going to be. It will look like it's going to be photoshopped. We all know it's not going to be, <laughs> but it's going to take some time to get used to. But that's sports these days, like it or not. No, very few players. I was going to say no one, but very few players these days in soccer uh, plays for the same team uh, year in year out. It's let's face it. Uh, you get better deals elsewhere. Teams uh, get into financial straits. Uh, some teams get new ownership and they want to um, purchase better players. And sometimes, uh, well, not any player will know that, hey, this is their time. Grab the money now because you don't know how long a career is going to be. Saying that, Messi has had an incredible, long, and productive career. He might not be the same player as he was a few years ago, but I still think he's got some gas left in the tank. No, absolutely, and we'll see what happens down the road when this uh, season begins over in League One. As um, Lionel, sounds like Lionel, Lionel Messi will be signing with PSG for this upcoming season and a couple more seasons afterwards. Um, so let's start off with what happened in the Olympics in Tokyo. Michael, what went wrong for the women's national team, and did you ever think that not saying they would not medal, which, they, of course, they got the bronze. But, you know, when you talk about our women's national team, it's always the top prize. It's always gold. What happened in this tournament for them? Oh, boy. Uh, how many hours do you have? I guess we'll have to uh, put it into uh, different terms, uh, much shorter terms. Uh, a lot of bad stuff happened uh, uh, to this team, uh, they didn't. Well, first of all, they didn't play up to their potential. Simple as that. Um, boy, one thing I wrote about beforehand, and I'm not the only one, but it was the age of the team. Uh, the team averaged about 30 years old per player. Their front line was 34. And now I'm not saying the U.S. women's national team was washed up by any means. But when you're playing elite competition um, at the Olympics, Women's World Cup, and, and perhaps a few other big-time big, big time tournaments, every player has to be ready to contribute. And at, at a fo in a forward position, if you lose half a step, a quarter of a step, whatever, that could be devastating in terms of getting that extra, uh, I hate to use the word step again, but on a defender to, to put the ball away or to give a good pass. I know 
the people will say, oh, you're dumping on Carly Lloyd, who's 39 years old, Megan Rapino, who's 36. They're in better shape than I ever will be, and they're better soccer players than most people on the on the planet. But, you know, I think 10 years younger, let's put it this way, versions of them 10 years younger would have been devastating in the Olympics. It's easy to blame them for the, uh, for the team, uh, not living up to its potential, but you have to also wonder, hey, why did the coach pick them and why did he use them so much? Now, saying that, in the bronze medal match, they both had a brace and helped the U.S. to a 4-3 victory. Um, I'm trying to nuance this answer as much as I can, uh, but I, what I was, I guess, really disappointed about uh, with Coach Ando, Vladko Andonovsky was he didn't take enough younger players or use the younger players that he had on the team. And uh, that's, I'm sorry for the long-winded answer there, but uh, I'll say this. Rapino and, and Lloyd were not the reasons why the U.S. lost. There were other reasons. They, they played uninspired soccer against Sweden, which gave them a, a knockout punch, and it took a while for them to really to recover. Uh, after losing their first game 3 nothing, But it was, um, you know, a disappointing performance for the women. I have always compared them to the Brazilian men. Brazil is always expected to win, no matter what tournament it, it is in. Uh, same thing for the uh, U.S. women. And saying that again, and we've heard this mantra happening, maybe said throughout the uh, last five to ten years, the rest of the world is catching up to the U.S., and there's no doubt about that at all. Uh, there might, I hate to say this, there might come a time when we won't qualify for a Women's World Cup. It almost happened in 2011 if it wasn't for a, a playoff victory against, uh, against Italy. And I know people are saying, what the heck are you saying? That'll never happen. It could. It, it could. I'm not going to say it will, but it could. And uh, that was the same mentality where, you know, I've always said about the men, one day we're not going to qualify for a World Cup for the men's team. And then that happened in 2017 in the last game at Trinidad, and we didn't qualify for 2018 in Russia. And, of course, everything that happened sadly did. And I agree with you, Michael, because the rest of the world is catching up to our women. They are catching up to our women. Most of these nations are taking the women's game more seriously than in the past. You could definitely say, Michael, China, Norway, and us, USA, you can definitely say that those were the only three nations at that time took the women's game seriously. And now everyone is starting to catch up. Everyone's taking it seriously. And one day that might happen. I, I mean, I hope I don't see it. I hope I'm not alive to see it. By any means, um, I think the U.S. will continue to qualify for the big tournaments. You know, speaking of uh, teams that are uh, up and coming, and even though it feels like last year because of the pandemic, but this was at the 2019 Women's World Cup, uh, Spain impressed me greatly. And they lost to the um, to the United States 2-0 in the round of 16. But you could tell that they have some players, and I know they've got some players coming up, that I think will make them 
into a very dangerous side over the next 10 years. I keep saying that they're going to win the Women's World Cup in 10 years. I might be off by a few years, but uh, that's just my gut feeling, just because of the, the soccer culture these players are coming from. Um, and the fact that Real Madrid and Barcelona have invested in women's teams. Yes, we had just talked about Barcelona's financial troubles, because, and they had a, a jettison uh, Messi, but um, my gut feeling is there are going to be plenty of uh, teams in Spain that will help produce quality talent, which they have already. I think it's just a matter of honing uh, these players' skills to a different level. Yeah, I agree with you there, and we're just going to have to wait and see what's going to happen down the road somewhere. Um, group stage, they like you said, they got a, a severe knockout punch by Sweden. Uh, the next match against New Zealand, they come out in a fury 6-1. And even though it was a nil-nil draw in the final group stage game, and I guess they only needed a point to advance, was that a good draw or was that a bad draw for them? Uh, good question. Um you know, anytime the U.S. women play a, a scoreless draw, um, you have to say it's it's a bad draw. You expect the team to score goals. Uh, yes, tactically it worked out very very well. Thank you. The, the game reminded me of the um, men's World Cup uh, group stage match between West Germany. Uh, it was called Germany was called West Germany at the time and Austria where the teams just needed a tie, and that's what they got. And, um, and, and at times, U.S. and Australia played as though they needed a visa to pass midfield. Um, I expected more out of the U.S., even though Vlatko uh, said this is what was part of the plan. But um, I think they should have uh, pushed up a little more. They, I'm not saying push up everyone, but push up enough to, to apply more pressure. A disappointing result. It became the second, think of it now, two shutouts for a U.S. women's national team at a Women's World Cup or the Olympics. First time ever. Uh, and that happened twice over three games. Granted, they had that big six-goal, uh, six-to-one win over New Zealand, as you said. But, boy, um, we, I never thought I'd expect to see that. Uh, um, but... Uh, that did not help the team down the road. <laughs> no, it did not. And then, of course, uh, they went 2-2 after regulation and extra time. They won on penalties in the quarterfinals uh, on the Netherlands. And then the biggest gut punch I think I've ever seen the U.S. women have against Canada. And usually they would take care of Canada with, with ease. And, and not saying Canada is a slouch. The Canadian women team. The Canadian women's team has always been a very strong team to play against. And after getting a, converting on a penalty, our, our women's team just could not find a way to get an equalizer. They just couldn't find a way to, you know, get into that gold medal game. And th- you just felt that they looked like they were shell shocked. You felt that oh my God, they're acting like they're in big trouble here. And you're still only down by a goal. Uh, yeah, uh, from what I remember about the game being up the ridiculous hour that day, probably you and millions of other, or at least thousands of other fans, um, it was like a nightmare or a bad dream probably uh, to, to a lot of us that were watching. Saying that, first of all, give credit to Canada. 
Uh, they had a good game plan, and the players executed it well. And I'm very happy for Christine Sinclair for winning a, uh, a world championship or a gold medal in the Olympics uh, to put a, an exclamation point on her illustrious career, although I've got a strange feeling she isn't finished yet. But, yeah, it was, you know, just trying to figure out what the heck was happening. It, it, something was missing from this team. Um, we don't know what it is. We, you know, you don't know what was happening in the locker room, although we didn't see any bad vibes between the players on the field. Sometimes teams just go into funks, uh, go into a funk, excuse me. Sometimes it's just bad luck. Um, The thing with the U.S. women's team is uh, they're not used to digging out of a hole. Even if it's a one-goal hole, it just doesn't happen too much. And with, you know, you could afford to lose a friendly. You could afford to draw a friendly that you should have won. But when you're in a knockout round competition, hey, as good as they are, as for all the awards that they've won team-wise and individually, they're human. And sometimes you... Uh, try to. It's almost like they're trying to, to battle back and score two goals at once instead of one. Uh, and uh, sometimes panic could um, move in, move into things. And uh, like I said, give Ca- uh, Canada a lot of credit as well. I agree. They deserve to beat the U.S. that day, and they deserve the gold medal to win uh, over in Tokyo. Um, obviously, uh, if the U.S. did not defeat New Zealand for the bronze medal, that would have been the biggest backlash, I would think, for American soccer history. And you really can't say that about the women, but, you know, obviously gold is always on their mind. Gold is always on uh, the, the game plan in these Olympic games. But, you know, do you think winning at least the bronze medal has quelled some of the negativity that went their way by some of the supporters? Or do you think it's not enough that they, they should have won gold and they should have played better? Um, like I said before, it's great that they won the bronze because it would have been worse if they brought home nothing. That would have been a nuclear, nuclear explosion right then and there. Saying that, you know, like I said before, we expect better from the U.S. team. Uh, they didn't play well. You know, it's one thing to to play uh, fantastic soccer in their five, six games and not get what they want, what they desired, and say, yeah, but look what look what happened. It was they played very, very well. The other team played better. We know this team underachieved, and we're not used to seeing that. Uh, the last time it happened when a U.S. women's team did not reach. The final, well, I was going to say the final of an Olympics or a, a Women's World Cup. Well, obviously, what, 2016 when the team was eliminated in the quarterfinals. But you have to then, if, before that, you have to go all the way back to 2007 when the U.S. was beaten, beaten up, not physically but mentally, for nothing by the Brazilians in the um, uh, semifinals in Shanghai, 
And that's a that's another hour and a half we could talk about that situation too. <laughs> but uh, that, Very that true. was when that that was when uh, U.S. coach Greg Ryan decided to use Brianna Scurry instead of uh, Hope Solo, and uh, um, all hell broke loose on the field for the U.S. And um, so, but you know, it, we, we're just not used to the team not being in. Uh, you know, championship games, gold medal matches, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, it, it, this might be something we might have to get used to again. As we said before, the rest of the world is catching up and uh, might not be able to always make the final four. Um, I think one thing that fans will appreciate, if a team goes out and works hard and doesn't win, uh, they'll, you know, and, and puts in the effort, they'll play well. I just don't think this team played as well as it could have. I'm not saying they didn't put in the effort, but I just think that something was missing. Maybe uh, we'll find out uh, eventually in the coming months or weeks. Mm -hmm. We'll find out. And I guess my last question on the women at the moment, what does Vlatko and Donovsky have to do now to uh, get either a new crop going or uh, maybe does he have to change his game plan, his tactics, to get the women back to where they should be? Uh, he's going to have to start uh, looking. I, I think he's got a – he knows who's out there, a pecking order of players. Um, I have no doubt about that. I think he's going to have to give more of these players uh, – whether they're playing in, in the National Women's Soccer League or overseas, an opportunity uh, to play in more friendlies because Women's World Cup qualifying will probably be in the fall of 2022. You have to remember the next Women's World Cup is in 2023, New Zealand and Australia. And um, so it's not that far away. There's not much time transition. I'm not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater, but make it start making a transition now when the, the team starts playing several friendlies in the fall. I know that there's there's, there's some sort of a tour after the um, the Olympics planned. Um, I, I know they want. I think originally the plan was to play as many, not all of the players from the Olympic team on that. I'm not certain. I don't know the whatever what any contract said about that, but to me, I think you got to start yesterday on uh, revamping this team. Yeah, I agree with you there, and we'll see what happens moving forward. Um, so let's go to the men's national team now, and you know, seeing this roster being built by Greg Berhalter, and yeah, I understand he's looking to basically check on players who he would like to add to these World Cup qualifying rosters starting next month on the 2nd of September. Did you believe or did you feel that this group of MLS players and a couple here and there that play in Europe, did you feel they were going to go all the way to the final and win this tournament? I did not feel that. I was hoping for it in some way, shape, or form. Um, but, you know, I just said, you know, go deep in the tournament. Maybe you can get to the semifinals. And you never know, in, in, again, a knockout round situation, 
Um, you might get lucky, uh, fortunate, or, or there's player, a player or players that rise to the occasion. As we found out, there were several players who did. Um, you know, it's pretty incredible on how they, they won the title. I mean, you're talking about six games, five of them are one-goal games. Heck, five of those games were one nothing games, which is a tournament record, and I don't think that's happened in too many tournaments around the world, World Cup or Confederation Championships elsewhere. That's re- remarkable. And, of course, then you had the 6-1 to one, um, uh, triumph over Martinique, um, but which I think showed um, it showcased uh, Matt Turner in goal, uh, and I, I my gut feeling is he is definitely one of the three goalkeepers for the World Cup qualifying run. Uh, it'll be up to Greg Berhalter to figure out who will start, uh, but he was uh, su- superb uh, during that tournament. Saying that, you, had, you know, uh, several players. Uh-huh. Oh, go on. I'm sorry. Go no, on, no, I'm no. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. You go ahead. You go ahead. And I'm saying that you had several uh, defenders uh, who, who played very well in front of them, who I think earned their wings to be part of that 35-player group that the team is going to need during September, October, and November qualifying. Um, the likes of Sam Vines, Shaq Moore. Miles Robinson, I was not going to forget him. Obviously, he played so well on both sides of the ball, especially scoring the game winner um, against Mexico in the final. Um, and I, I think I, I think this was like a double victory for for, for the U.S. and, and Burhalter. Okay, one they won the whole thing, which is I don't think a lot of people would have placed bets on it. Would have liked to have seen Vegas betting on that. Ironically, the game was in Las Vegas. Uh, but he got players who played under fire, under ridiculous uh, conditions, not just against Mexico, but Qatar, uh, Jamaica. You're talking about, you know, a, a very good uh, CONCACAF team. Uh, Qatar, the, uh, the, the host of the 2022 World Cup. Um, these players were tested in a tournament. Uh, friendlies are nice. Friendlies are like warm-up games. You know, you throw them into the, um, you throw new players on the team into the shallow end of the pool to see how they could do. Maybe the medium end. But it's, there's nothing like being in a competition when a team is under the gun, under fire, how they're going to react. And it wasn't perfect. There were plenty of mistakes on the field. But by every player, but I, I think uh, these players were th- uh, thrown into the deep end of the pool in the Gold Cup, and uh, they showed that they could swim. Maybe they can't do the backstroke yet, but uh, they could definitely, uh, I think, swim in, in CONCACAF waters. They might not start in any of the World Cup qualifying matches, uh, but who knows? Uh, a victory like this in the um, the Gold Cup helps their confidence, and who knows well, what happens come September, October, and November um, as the U.S. Uh, tries to, to reach the World Cup for the first time in eight years. You know, I and I agree with you about the 1-0 victories in five of their six games. Obviously, the only game they destroyed their opponent was Martinique, even though they did allow a penalty 
to get converted. It it, it happens. There's nothing to do about it. Uh, shouldn't have happened, but it did. Um, to see these players growing up through Major League Soccer, the majority of this roster growing up through Major League Soccer, can we officially say now that the league has done a marvelous job of producing and developing American players? It took them 25, 26 years to do so, but in all honesty, what can you say about what every club in MLS has done You know that has their own academy right now? We all know what the Red Bulls have done with Caden Clark, with... Uh, <clears throat> Tyler Adams, uh, for the you know for what the Red Bulls have done. I mean, you know, um, James Sands from New York City FC, Daryl DK uh, from Orlando City. I mean, what does that say now that MLS can produce and develop talented young players that can perform on the world stage? Well. I think you've got to give MLS a lot of credit for developing players, young players, uh, many of which they are selling, dealing, transferring to Europe to let them go to the next level. And I'm talking about attacking players, and we don't have to go through the list. I think we all know that. Um, No doubt about that. What concerns me about MLS is that American creative players in the league are few and far between. Don't get me wrong. There are some great goalkeepers, obviously, um, uh, very good defenders. But when you start getting to uh, attacking uh, number 10 midfielders, not very many are are, are playing in the league right now. Um, And the same thing with, with forward strikers, you know, Name me a player who's who's near the uh, top of the league in goal scoring. Um, saying that, any player who's doing well offensively in Europe most likely came from an MLS academy, and that's where they've helped develop the players. But we haven't seen it in the league. This is, the, I guess, this is the ironic situation. Um, saying all of that. I think this is the only way they were going to develop is overseas because these team, MLS teams, it's a business to them. If they don't think um, they could afford to have a player uh, sit on a player for three, four years waiting for him to develop, well, why don't – there are plenty of takers out there in, in, in Europe uh, willing to for a multi-million dollar transfer, let them go over there and see what, what, what happens. So uh, that's my answer. Um, I think MLS, I think, finally got it right after all the, these years. They figured it out saying, wait a minute now, we could be a seller's league. There's nothing wrong about that. I wrote about this in 2000 for a column for CNNSI when both of them had it. Uh, combined for a uh, for a website, and I said MLS would be a great springboard board league. Um, I was criticized by a couple of people from the league. What do you mean by that? You're putting us down. And I said, no, there's nothing wrong about that. The, the Netherlands does that with their league, and several other uh, countries do as well. There's nothing wrong about that, considering they're making lots of money for teams 
um, with these multi-million-dollar transfers. I know not, I know that not every player is going for a ridiculous price, but I, I think MLS is doing the right thing. I'm sorry for the long-winded answer. It's always good to have an answer from you. Um, when you see a player like Matthew Hoppe, who basically, I'll say it right now, Michael, he came out of nowhere. I know he was playing for Schalke in the German Bundesliga, and then all of a sudden he starts putting goals away like there's nobody's business. And then he comes out, and how he attacks the net, sets up plays, makes fantastic moves and everything else that you want from a potential number nine, even number 11, wherever you're going to put him on the pitch. He has come out of nowhere, and he has made a name for himself really quick. And obviously there's rumors going around that, you know, he might be going somewhere else. We don't know uh, what those who wants him. Obviously probably a Premier League team wants him. Maybe another German Bundesliga team wants him. When you see a kid like that, performing the way he did on the club level, and he translates that into the national team level. How amazing is it to see this kid just pop up out of nowhere and starts doing the business that you never thought he could do? Did you say hop up out of nowhere or, or pop up uh, <laughs> out of nowhere? There, well, yes, but I seriously... Did. You know, I, I, like many observers of the Gold Cup, I think we all looked at how the way he was going to play. And, um, yes, he, he worked his rear end off during those games. When he wasn't, you know, he, I think what the, in the final game he had three shots that we thought mm, maybe they could have been better placed and maybe he would have scored earlier. But it's his relentlessness. That's what you want to see from a forward. Uh, you uh, you want to see um, a player who, okay, they miss one, they're still hungry for that goal. And that was what impressed me more than anything else. And I'm glad he uh, got the game winner against Cutter, if memory serves me right, correct? All, the, all of a sudden these one nothing games uh, start Jamaica. playing together a bit. Mm-hmm. But um, he... Um, that that impressed me more than anything else. Don't get me wrong. The goal was fantastic, obviously, but the mm-hmm. fact that he's going to keep fighting for the for the goal. Uh, he didn't want to come out of the game, which any other player thought would think the same way, um, which is a great attitude. Uh, but I, I like that uh, that feeling. I hope he gets a chance to not play in the uh, second Bundesliga division. Uh, we all know Josh Sargent uh, signed with Norwich City this uh, today uh, in the English Premiership. He would have been um, down in, in the second division in, in Germany with Werder Bremen, and it gives him a shot to play at a higher level and develop his talents as well, too. And hopefully Matthew Hoppe will get that opportunity, whether it's in Germany, England, or anywhere else, but you want to play in, in that top league in the country. No, I agree with you there, and uh, we'll see what he can do. Hopefully, he'll do well. And you know, I, I I don't think the book is out on Sargent just yet. I I think he's just going to have to be uh, a little bit more ruthless out uh, on the attack when he has the ball at his feet, or when he's going to try and set up and score some goals. But I still feel Sargent is definitely in the future for the national team. And if it's not this World Cup, maybe it'll be the one where we host it back in 2026. But we'll see what happens back there uh, when we get there. You know, look. 
I'll admit that I think Greg Berhalter is a very good coach. I'll also admit that the way he was hired was not the the most honest mm. way of hiring somebody from U.S. soccer. I, I really thought that they botched it and they just basically said, oh, yeah, we'll, this was our guy all along. You should have just said so. Don't have a coaching search. Bring him in. Bring him in right now. And then you delayed his entrance to the national team because you wanted him to finish off his MLS season, which I thought, no, you're going to either bring him in now or it's, you're going to have a cycle ruined for, um, you know, for the wrong reasons. And even though, look, I admit maybe I might be a little hard on him, but then again, you know, look, this, we, we, we missed the World Cup. We missed the World Cup in 2018. We, we didn't qualify for the first time before uh, 1990 came along. And I've always felt that uh, Trinidad got their revenge on the Caligiuri uh, goal heard round the world situation and everything. But I will admit, did you ever see it coming that Burhalter would beat Mexico twice in two CONCACAF international tournament finals? <clears throat> and doing so in spectacular fashion. Did you expect that from him? Uh, I didn't expect it from a U.S. team. Uh, you know, I had similar concerns about uh, Berhalter's uh, hiring. Um, again, a very good coach, but I think um, U.S. soccer could have been more um, transparent about it in, in the beginning as well, too. Now that he was coach, uh, you know, I said, okay, let's see what he can do. And yes, there were some bumps in the road, and yes, there was the pandemic, which uh, threw everyone, uh, you know, threw everything off for everyone. Um, but he's gotten the most out of the team, and you know, getting two big final victories against anyone is a big deal. Add Mexico into the mix, and that makes it a little more saucy, um, for uh, you know, for obvious reasons, because the rivalry is, is fantastic. Uh, and saying that, those two wins will, could go for naught if the U.S. doesn't qualify for the World Cup um, because that's how national teams, that's how players, that's how coaches are ultimately um, rated. Yes, I know there's the Champions League in Europe and there's great leagues in Europe, but here for the U.S., it's whether or not you get to the World Cup and also playing well, too. That's not a bad idea as well. But if the U.S. can't get at least three points against Mexico in their uh, home game coming up uh, later this fall, um, it will. what will those other wins win, mean, uh, those championships mean, because it doesn't lead to the World Cup? Saying all that, can I think the U.S.? can beat Mexico, yes, because the U.S. is a battle-tested team in the Nations League, in Europe, in their domestic leagues, and just as importantly, UEFA Champions League, which is highly competitive. I'm not going to go into how, how, how important it is to, to play in that competition, you know, week in, week out, but um, likes of Christian Pulisic, um, Weston McKinney, uh, they know what's at stake. And, you know, the most important thing about the Nations League 
for the for the U.S. national team was playing two difficult matches, which are going to be duplicated in the World Cup. You know, the World Cup is going to be be just like that. It's going to be last team standing, last man standing. And you're going to have to battle through some ridiculous things. Uh, calls aren't going to go your way. You have to get up and and forget about it, like duck or like water off a duck's back. Um, and that's what the, the the team did in both games. But I'm I'm using let's say the players that I think are going to play a, an important role for the U.S. Uh, against Mexico and in, in other uh, key games during qualifying. But like I said, if the U.S. doesn't qualify and get at least three points at home against Mexico, uh, those other games in the long run, I think you might say could go for naught. I guess we'll have to see what history says. Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen. And once again, World Cup qualifying begins on Thursday night, September the 2nd, on the road against El Salvador, whether it be at El Salvador due to the pandemic, it might get moved. We'll have to wait and see what will happen there. Um, where, what do you think they're saying in Mexico right now, Michael? Do you think uh, Tata Martino's job is on the line? Or do you think he's just going to let it roll off his back and say, no, it's okay, we got World Cup qualifying, that's the most important thing out of all of these continental champ, uh, tournaments that we've been uh, playing in? Um, like you said, you know that's what most American fans are looking at. You got to qualify for the World Cup to go to the biggest party in world soccer. Is that you think what they're doing, or do you think they want uh, they want him fired, Tata Martino? Well, I think there are some people who want him fired, but Mexico has a history of getting through, getting rid of their coaches, and many of them after a loss to the United States. I think this is not a good time at the moment. I think we're too close to qualifying, uh, and I think. Um, cooler heads at the present time are prevailing with Mexico. Who knows? Uh, I could say this, and after I hang up, uh, there'll be a story saying that he got fired. But um, I think as long as the team gets results, um, wins, points, uh, I think people will be happy. Uh, I know in Mexico, it's more than just that. The team has to look good, too. But to me, um, I'd like to think of myself as a much more pragmatic soccer person, soccer writer. Get through the damn thing. Get the three points. Thank you very much. Because during qualifying, like I said before, CONCACAF qualifying is never pretty. Just get through uh, one game. Worry about that game. Get the three points. Thank you very much. Get a point on the road. Thank you very much. Win at home again. Thank you very much. the prettiest thing on the field is a goal and a goal celebration. Uh, the rest is like um, a battlefield. So uh, I, I, I think very highly of Tata Martino. I think he's a hell of a coach. Um, yes, every coach is under a certain amount of pressure. In Mexico, it's a ridiculous amount of pressure. Um, we'll see if he can survive that, if the team can survive that by playing well. Yeah. Well, that's the big question mark, isn't it? And that's going to be very fun to watch. So uh, all I can say now, Michael, is thank you for your time. I appreciate you coming back on the show. I always love uh, talking about soccer with you all the time. And whether it be league play or international play, 
It's going to be a very interesting situation. And let me just ask you this one more question, actually. Okay. You know when they tell you that World Cup, you know when they tell you that World Cup qualifying is not a marathon; it's a sprint. We're mm-hmm. going to have a marathon here, and <laughs> yeah, obviously games. because of the yes, we're going to have fourteen games in a very short period of time. We're going to have three in September, three in October, two in November. Technically, it's three because it's the end of January and one game at the beginning of February, and then the rest will be at the end of March. Honestly, do you think now that we're not going to have the hex but the octagon, is this going to be, do you feel maybe a little bit more breathing room, or do you think it's going to be more intense? Ooh, uh, good question. I think it will be just as intense. You know, I mean, it's World Cup, you know, Three, three teams out of eight um, get in, actually, you know, it's, and get that automatic berth, and then that fourth team goes into an intercontinental playoff. Um, maybe it'll be a little more intense because um, at, before it was three and a half into six, now it's three and a half into eight. There's going to be more disappointed countries. I mean, I mean, we all know Canada is an improved side. I think Jamaica is a team to watch as well, too, and we've got the um, usual suspects, you know, along with, uh, you know, Mexico, Costa Rica, Honduras, El Salvador. So I hope I'm not missing anyone. Um, I'm doing this off the top of my head. But, um, you know, I guess we'll we'll wait and see how much more intense it will be. Um, I think it comes down to this. You, uh, I mean, and, and this is so simple. Easier said than done, let's put it that way. U.S. has to win at home and find a way to grab some points on the road, obviously, uh, play maybe not necessarily Costa Rica or Mexico, very difficult place uh, places to uh, to accrue points. But in El Salvador, Honduras, um, Canada, and Jamaica, it's been done before, and they, and it can be done again. You don't necessarily have to win. The the thing with drawing on the road, and this is the way I look at it, is you get a point, the other team gets a point but you're subtracting points from the home team. You're, it's a, actually a draw at home is a loss in a league situation, a short season of a league like that. So as you're playing, you're, you're getting a point. The other team is getting a point, but uh, two points have actually disappeared for the, for, for the home team because they squandered an opportunity to get three points. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, – that's something I've always subscribed to, that theory. You always make sense. I don't worry about you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank you. Michael, have a good night. Thank you so much for your time, and I'll talk to you again soon. Take care, Michael. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed myself. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Michael Lewis, Front Row Soccer, of course, uh, covering American soccer and local soccer in the New York City tri-state area. Uh, we have a caller on the line, 973-229. Uh, hang on one second. There you are. You're in. And uh, give me your questions, please. All right. You were uh, mentioning, of course, uh, from the top of your headline, the women get bronze and the men get gold. I was, you know, I was kind of disappointed that the women didn't get the, the gold medal. I thought maybe they could have, you know, rebounded, you know, from the loss to uh, Japan. But, you know, I guess they didn't, I guess it just didn't happen. I mean, you know, 
they seem to be so dominant though in World Cup play, but yet it for some reason it just doesn't seem to translate over to the Olympics. They haven't been able to do you know capture um, both uh, simultaneously. I mean, what what happened? Was just Japan too strong, or did we did we just seem too weak? Um, well, they didn't play against Japan, but they did have other opponents. I mean, obviously they China played Russia. in Japan for the Olympics. Yeah. Um, you know, all I can say is, is that, look, the world is getting better. There are True. in yeah. the history of women's world, in the history of women's soccer on the international level, and not just on the international level in the, in the league level, there have been no other country to take the women's game seriously. The only three nations right. I've said that have taken seriously the women's game is, of course, the United States, which is us, the Chinese, and the Norwegians, because those were always the best teams out there to play internationally, and they developed be- very good talent. Now you're seeing the Germans taking advantage of it. Now you're seeing right. the Swedes taking advantage of it, the, the Brazilians. You know, the mm. Colombians now, Mexico, they're now fielding women's leagues. England is now taking it seriously. Canada, we always knew Canada was always going to be strong because they are yes. neighbors. And, you know, um, it's all about taking so the Mexico. women's game seriously. And Mexico yeah. now, well, too. I mean, I mean you're... Uh, well, mm-hmm. well, I mean, because, you know, they're so dominant in the men's, you know, uh, Mexico, Argentina, you know, Latin American countries and Europeans, so... I think it's probably only, you know, due time that, you know, the female side of this country is going to be able to catch up to us. Yeah. Cause no, the, um, I mean, it's very yeah, true. Because look at it this way. In the women's department in soccer, we dominate. In the men's area, well, I hate to celebrate crew, but we suck. We're getting better. But we no, it's okay. I mean, look. Yeah, no, I mean, look, in the men's game, we have more to go to. I think right now in the men's game internationally, we're seeing a good amount of players being developed by Major League Soccer clubs. And they're, now they've answered that question, can we develop players? And so far, the answer right now is yes. Can they make the move or can they make the jump to the European leagues? The answer is yes. Can they perform at a higher level or at the same level as the European players do? And the answer right now is yes. What we have seen so far from a majority of a European-based roster in the CONCACAF Nations League, defeating Mexico in extra time, three goals to two, and all the goals were scored by Giovanni Reina. Obviously, his father played most of his career in Europe for Rangers. um, Right. Not Rangers, excuse me, Celtics. Celtic, uh, you know, Manchester City, uh, you know, Giovanni Reina, his son, uh, is playing for Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga. Uh, Weston McKenney started at Schalke. Now he's with Juventus in Italy. Of course, Christian Pulisic, who started his European career uh, through Borussia Dortmund, now with Chelsea. He won the Champions League with Chelsea. And, you, and the amount of American players that have won domestic titles, and European international titles like the Champions League for uh, Pulisic, now you're seeing the fruits of our labor blossoming. And then you get to the Gold Cup, and you knew for a fact that the majority of those players were never going to be on this Gold Cup roster. The real 
And it's, it's not a shame to admit that you're looking for MLS players to see how they can react on the international stage. Granted, CONCACAF is not as strong as Europe or in South America. Without a doubt, it's not as strong mm, as Europe or South true. America. But, but the hope by CONCACAF is to make the, the confederation stronger. You know, Costa Rica is not a slouch. Honduras is not a slouch. Um, Jamaica is definitely not a slouch. Listen, when you get to World Cup qualifying, and you got to go down in Kingston, and you got to play at the office uh, down in Kingston in, in Jamaica, you know, that's a house of horrors. And even the new national team uh, stadium, well, it's not really new, new, but it's a couple of years new. The, the national right. team stadium for Costa Rica and San Jose, that's a tough place to play as well. You know, Panama is an up-and-coming yeah. power. Panama has been Ooh, proven yeah, to be a very, very tough nation internationally to play against. And, and, you know, I've always said this about Canada. You know, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I don't want to see Canada, you know, be a, a power. But the truth is, is that, you know, you want to see Canada, which they have been developing players, but they haven't really gotten the results that they wanted on the international level. Now look at what's going on. Now they have Ezekiera. Uh, Alfonso Davies, who just who transferred from uh, Vancouver Whitecaps to Bayern Munich, and he's already won. I mean, how many Bundesliga titles? Already won a UEFA uh, Champions League cha- title last in the last uh, edition, not this past edition, but the last edition. I mean, you're right. seeing players in North America, outside of us and outside of Mexico. Now you can throw Canada into the mix, where there are no easy points anymore because you want all three North zone teams to be dominant. You're trying to get all those nations in the central American zone dominant. The Caribbean is not there yet, but there are teams that are coming and they're performing and they're starting to get a job done. St. Kitts and Neves, even though, okay, they didn't have a good world cup qualification run in the second round, for Qatar to qualify for Qatar, but in the opening round, you can see what they're trying to do. And so if you give yeah. them that opportunity, St. Kitts and Nevis could overtake where I always felt that Trinidad and Tobago was the top two power with Jamaica. But look what happened. Trinidad and Tobago is a complete and utter mess. They can't get out of the way. They keep having these results that knocks them out of World Cup qualification. Either they can reach the final round and mess up, or this particular World Cup qualification, they get eliminated in the opening round. They did not need a scoreless draw. They had to go and get a result, and they screwed it up. This is the biggest embarrassment in the history of Trinidadian football. And if you want to talk to Shaka Hislop, who's on ESPN FC, who is from Trinidad, he'll tell you everything. Look at Curacao. Look what they did in the last Gold Cup back in 2017. They came out of nowhere. They came out of nowhere and dominated the group stage. I think they went to the quarterfinals against the U.S. And even though they only lost 1-0, they were battling against the United States. They were battling against the U.S. And even though we just barely got past them, the truth is 
Curacao was an up-and-coming power. And even though they got rid of their head coach because they went for a big name in Goose Hedink, which I thought was a mistake. But look, Curacao, Dutch Law Island, you know, they're under Dutch law. They wanted to go for a big name. They got it. He couldn't finish up uh, the qualification because of uh, COVID. So Patrick Kluivert, of course, the former Barcelona man who's also Dutch himself, he went to finish up the job and unfortunately uh, couldn't get that big goal in the second leg of the second round of World Cup qualifying against Panama because they just couldn't get it past the keeper. And Eloy Room, who is the goalie for the Columbus crew, is, is from Curacao. So that's how he was able to come to MLS because of the Gold Cup tournament that he had with Curacao which got him to MLS to become the starting goalkeeper for the Columbus crew. So, you know, there are some nations in, in the Caribbean that are sneaking up on some of us. Some of us say, hey, listen, don't, don't, don't fall asleep on some of these Caribbean nations. They're no. looking to become a power now. So you've got to pay attention to what's going on here. I mean, it's easy to poo-poo CONCACAF. It's yeah. easy to throw our confederation away and just put it to the side and say, yeah, well, you know, you're not a Scotland, you're not a France, you're not a, you know, a Germany. I mean, you can go off and say, like, you know, we all know the big boys of Europe. England, Scot- England uh, Spain, Germany, and Italy. We all know that. But who are the second yes, best Italian. nations that you can play against in Europe? You know, there's, there's like I said, there's Scotland, Probably not as much, but now they're getting a little bit better. Um, you know, you can say France. They won the last World Cup, obviously. You can say Belgium, maybe Slovenia, Slovakia, Czech Republic. The Swiss are an up-and-coming power. You know, now you can go to Romania and Hungary. Maybe they're getting back into the swing of things. But in CONCACAF, they only look at two nations, us and Mexico. No one's looking at Canada up until what they did in this tournament. Like I said, everyone knows about Costa Rica. Everyone knows about Honduras. El Salvador had a hell of a Gold Cup tournament this year. And let's see what they can do in World Cup qualifying. Who knows? You know, and then when you get to the other nations, like Guatemala is now starting to get back into the situation because they were suspended by FIFA because of shenanigans with players not going to the uh, Guatemalan FA, they go to the country's, you know, regular political arm for the government, the governor of sport in Guatemala, who interfered with FIFA business. That shouldn't have happened, but it did. And, you know, Guatemalan clubs got suspended. Uh, and even the national team got suspended for international competition, friendlies, international cup competition for CONCACAF Champions League. You know, this is the situation that you have to understand that there are nations that will always have an up cycle, a down cycle, or it's just the constant buffoonery that continues to move forward. Now you see Canada rising from the ashes. You're seeing Trinidad and Tobago remaining in the ashes because they can't get out of their way and they cannot get the results that they need to prove that, as I've always felt, the two powers should be always Jamaica and Trinidad and Tobago. But Jamaica has done well, and there are times Jamaica has done poorly, but Jamaica still shows that they can develop 
quality players. Trinidad, we don't know what's going on. It looks it looks terrible, and they're just not doing a job. Cuba, Cuba is a different situation because even though there's no embargo politically with other countries around the world, there's only embargo with us. And the only way we're going to see Cuba perform is either the Cubans – well, let's put it this way. The Cuban players are going to defect, and we see them play – You know, they come to MLS – and they play there, but they can't play for their national team. So mostly, I always say this. If we're going to play Cuba, we have to know who these players are because yeah. for someone like myself that watches international soccer through CONCACAF, right. we don't know who these Cuban players are. And, the, and yeah. the worry is they're going to sneak in and they're going to steal a result that you don't want to happen. I mean, obviously, every time the U.S. plays Cuba, like they did in the Nations League group and League A in the group stage, you know, went to Audi Field at, in our nation's capital. We destroyed them 7-0, 8-0. Okay, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take them to the woodshed and let them have it. But if you are going to go in there into that game with a mindset and a mentality of, oh, yeah, we're going to beat them again. No, that's where you lose. Mm. You've lost yeah. the match already. You cannot do that. No. Which reminds me, um, speaking of players, uh, what do you think of uh, Messi going to uh, this uh, French league uh, squad after getting Gonna dumped by, well, I should say dumped by, by, you know, Barcelona wouldn't um, renegotiate his contract over financial issues. So he's going to France. I always hope he's going to come to MLS. <laughs> so much for that. So uh, what do you think mm-hmm. of going to this French league? He's going to destroy the French league. He's going to play for per, he's going to play for Paris. He's going to destroy it. Mm-hmm. He's going to play for pa- for Paris, and mm-hmm. they're going to go to every single game, whether it's at the Parc des Princes in Paris or mm-hmm. away at Lyon or Marseille or Rennes. It, he's going to destroy the league. He's going to destroy the league and PSG is going to win league on. I really believe that because a guy like Messi, I thought so. Who is amazing. And he's going to be yes. back with Neymar and he also has his Argentinian teammate on the national team in Angel Di Maria. I'm sorry. I I you can already say it right now. You can say this right now. And if it doesn't Pencil happen, it so be it. Pencil it in. They're winning league on. They're going to win the French Cup. They're probably going to win the French League Cup. And, but the main goal for PSG is the UEFA Champions League. They want yes. to win the Champions League. That's the one trophy right now that has eluded mm-hmm. the Parisian Capital Club. I mean, there was, this there could was be the one solidified Miami, but... Well, look, I mean, look, I mean, I mean, he could still play if he wants to and come to MLS. I mean, I don't know how much longer he'll be able to play. I mean, you know, and at the same time, you know, this move to remain in Europe is to help Argentina qualify for the World Cup. You know, he's got if he's going to come to MLS, he's just going to have to retire from international competition for Argentina and say, I'm done. And if he does come to MLS, then so be it. But, you know, look. 
there, you know, you hope that maybe Ronaldo will have a change of heart and say, you know, that's not my last club. I'm going to play for Juventus. Maybe Ronaldo comes mm. to MLS. Ooh. You never know. I mean, I mean, you never know with these players. Maybe they want to give MLS an opportunity. Um, you know, we had a case of, uh, yep. Yep. I mean, we had slots on. Yeah, I like the Italian. Oh, you're Italian? Okay. Okay. But what I was going to say is, you know, Zlatan, I mean, you know, we had a taste of him in MLS for only two years and then he went, or a year and a half. And then he went back to, um, to back to Italy, play for AC Milan. I mean, there's always Griezmann. I don't know if he's going to leave Europe right now. Um, you know, well, there's plenty of players right now. I don't think, you know, in their golden years at the moment, I mean, I think they're still in their prime right now that are still going to perform in Europe. But, you know, you just got to be, you just got to watch what's going to happen. You just got to watch and see what's going to happen. I mean, we already know yeah. Christian Fuchs won the Premier League with uh, Leicester City. You know, right now he's on loan yeah. with uh, Charlotte Independence of USL Championship. Uh, but he's going to start playing next season with Charlotte FC and MLS. So, you know, look, okay, you, you okay. just got to be patient. You got to be patient and see what's going to happen. You can't rush these situations. I'm just not a Leicester fan much. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. No, don't worry about that. No, I do like English soccer, but I'm not a fan. Of, I'm not a fan of them. That's okay. It's all right. I'm more I'm more into Liverpool. That's okay. That's good. I mean, you know, Steven Gerrard came over to MLS, and unfortunately, uh, I wouldn't say it was a disaster. I would just say more of he just didn't have his heart into it to be over here. I think well, he just wanted to go back to Europe. Yeah. You know, you have to have your heart in it. Otherwise, you know, what are you doing there? Yeah, I know. But look, for some of it's, for some, it's uh, you know they would they they want to get that opportunity, and for some, it's not. I mean, you know, Frank Lampard came over to NYCFC, and to be honest with you, that whole thing was a big screw up by Manchester City. But what are you going to do? I mean, the truth is, you, you had you know David Beckham who worked well, yes, uh, Gary Henry who worked well. Um, there was a long time ago, an Italian superstar, Roberto Donadoni. He left AC Milan after uh, 94. Uh, wonderful. Over. Great player. Yep, yep. Unfortunately, unfortunately, he only stayed for two seasons. But you know what? Yeah. He he played his heart out, and he took and he took it seriously. But, you know, look, his heart was with Milan, with AC Milan, and he went back. I mean, I don't know if Lukaku would, would come to MLS. It would be nice. I don't know if any of the top Belgian talent would come over to MLS. I mean, it would be nice. But as of right now, um, MLS is doing a good job developing players. I mean, Nani has been, uh, has been fantastic since he came over. So you can't argue that. No, I'm, over, I'm, I'm a Red Bull fan. I remember the, the, no, the uh, Metro Stars, but I'm a fan of that. NYFC, eh, not really. Yes, I know. <laughs> You get you get the idea. No, I do. Don't worry. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, I remember when they first started. I remember when this league first started. Yes, I'm that old, first of all. But uh, so yeah, I remember I. when, you know, <laughs> oh, because I remember when the league first came out, you know, 
I think we'll also remember uh, the uh, league of its predecessor, which some people probably don't know. That was the NASL soccer North American from the 1960s yep. to North American Soccer League from 68 to 85, which, you know, yep. I was pretty upset when that league pulled up. I'm like, how could you do this to us? I, I was know. like, I was, I, I was, yeah, I was very, I'm like, there goes our soccer in the United States. I'm like, thanks a lot. I have, you know, I was watching indoor soccer for a couple of years, but, uh, you know, it doesn't quite, you know, hold the candle to, you know, the old NASL. Oh, no, I know. I know. You know, I mean, ESPN2 mm-hmm. had it, you know, when they first came out and a few, um, when it was, well, um, when we had something called Sports Channel before we became Fox Sports, you know, they were carrying those games yes. and like, oh, you know, this could be interesting, but, you know, you can't, you can't compare indoor to outdoor. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. No. It just doesn't I'll say work. One thing, though. Well, I, I went to a – I think they were still the Metro Stars when I went to the game. And, oh, boy. Let's put it this way. You had to be a dedicated fan if you want to go into a, and go play in a monsoon and seeing him play. Oh, boy. What a mess. Yep. Yes, I it mean, was. It, was a, it was an early afternoon game, 1 o'clock. I, I told them 1 o'clock. I was with a group of friends. We were on a group trip. And, of course, they don't cancel soccer unless it's, like, uh, thunder and lightning and whatnot. But, I mean, this game was a complete mess. We stood for the whole game. But, I mean, we were – we didn't get really that wet because we were under, under like, the Raptors. But, I mean, what a mess. It was pouring rain. You thought it was, like, going to be a hurricane like this. Was, but we all stayed there. But, oh, boy, you had, you had to dedicate yourself. You wouldn't go in that kind of conditions. Oh, brother. I know what you mean. I remember a couple of games like that. I remember. Especially against the Columbus yeah, Crew. I remember that one Sunday afternoon. Uh, yeah, yeah, the thunder, lightning, and the pouring. And even though they were down one nothing, that gave the Metro Stars the break they needed. And all of a sudden, they, they just rattled three goals after the uh, <laughs> rain delay. Uh, and they were able to uh, win that one, three goals to one. I remember. Believe me, whatever you're saying, yeah, I remember. I remember those games. Yep. Yeah, I, I hardly miss a Red Bulls game unless I'm not able to see if it's not televised. But mostly I can catch about yep. 90% of the games because uh, I'm an original mm-hmm. Red Bulls Metro Stars fan. So I remember the first yep. game they even played. They lost, but, uh, you know, it was nice to see soccer back in the New York, New Jersey area. Thank God. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so listen, thanks Which for calling in. Thing I was getting pretty and, old. Uh, yep, go ahead. Which also means I'm getting pretty old. I mean, I was 26 <laughs> when they started, and now 51. Yeah. You're an old-timer. Isn't it? All right. Oh, thanks. Yeah, not really. No, no, you're not fine. Yet. You're okay in my book. Thanks. <laughs> I should be calling in a bit All more right. often now because my schedule has changed. Uh, I do several di- – I and the host or co-host of several different podcasts throughout the week. But I got a little bit of a reprieve because one of the shows I did, which was on Monday, is now on Sunday night, so it won't clash with this. There you go. So I think I'll be probably right. pulling it more often. Okay, good. The later part, but good. the later part of the show, though, the, the later part. Yes, of course. Yes. And I have a show of my own, as you Great. well know, uh, Enhanced Sports Show, Saturday, 5 to 7 East Coast time. And we uh-huh. do cover uh, soccer, but uh, if we find something, you know, worthy to talk about, uh, we'll also cover NBA. We'll 
We'll wrap up the Olympics because there were some events that took place after my show ended, so keep you up to speed. Uh, more with the uh, NBA, uh, keeping a close eye on baseball. I might just even cover Little League because Little League is back, and, uh, you know, so we'll cover that as well. So if you got time on right. Saturday, call this following number, 512-543-4662. Okay, great. Wonderful. And here's an easy way to remember. Lose the name, mm-hmm. sports is my game. That's right. Right. Great. All right. And Thanks you a lot. are and I'll talk to you again soon. And you were I am Daniel Feuerstein, host of the Feuerstein Fire American okay. Soccer Daniel. Show. Thank yes. Mhm. All right, thank you for calling in. And uh Obviously, uh, if you're a Red Bulls fan, nil-nil draw at home in the midweek against Cincinnati. And, of course, that poor, poor 2-1 loss at Chicago Fire. So, not really much to talk about. Just, you know, couldn't get anything done on either game. I thought they looked a little bit better on Wednesday than they did on Sunday. But all you can do is just chalk up to another bad loss or a bad result. But we're going to call it a night tonight as uh, we say goodnight here. I want to thank my guest tonight, Michael Lewis, front row soccer on the U.S. men's and women's national teams. And um, I want to thank him as always for coming on the show and to uh, give us his knowledge about American soccer. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Join me later this week CONCACAF Champions League returns midweek on Thursday night. Philadelphia Union will be on the road at Club America in the first leg of the semifinals. And I'll have Matt Ralph on Friday night to talk about the Union and what happened in the first leg. It's going to be exciting and fun. We'll have to wait and see what's going to happen. So thank you for joining me tonight. Once again, this is the Four Year Scenes Fire American Soccer Show. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody.